The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. For those who weren't able to make it last week, usually week four, last week we talk about just getting curious. It's actually a huge part of the practice, getting curious about what gets in the way of the continuity of present moment awareness. And of course, it's totally relevant in our formal sitting times when we have that 20 minutes or 30 minutes to practice at home during the day, or you come to a place like common ground to sit for half an hour. The mind should be really curious because it's pretty simple, like present moment awareness, being aware now, for example, and go ahead and do this, just being aware there is a body there are these sensations right here, right? So being aware of the sensations, that means the mind's present. But it's not so easy to sustain present moment awareness. And so part of really training our mind is there's a very appropriate natural curiosity. What is it? What is that process that leads the mind back into what we call distraction or being lost in thought. Like, how is it that my mind over and over again ends up spinning, you know, proliferating one thought leading to the next? And of course, when we're lost in thought, by that I mean there's thinking, but the mind doesn't know that it's thinking. So it's lost in the thought. And, And to be honest, that's certainly the majority and probably the great, great majority of the day, or waking day, the mind is lost in thought. So one thing we'll do when we do have continuity of mindful awareness tonight, so there's the object that's being known, and a lot of times the object is our meditation object, right, the training object, breathing in, so that breathing in as a physical experience, like feeling the rising of the abdomen, or feeling the touching as the air is coming in the nostrils. So breathing in, and then noticing that inclusive, like the capacity to feel the whole body, even as I'm feeling, knowing that the breath is coming in. Breathing out, feeling the whole body, even though knowing the breath is going out. So that's the training anchor for most of us, most of the time. And then we get, you know, that's pretty simple for one breath, or one half of a breath, from the very beginning of the in-breath to the end, it is possible for that, whatever that is, five-second period of time to sustain present moment awareness for one in-breath, maybe for one out-breath. But over and over again, the mind veers off. So what is that process? So let's get interested in that tonight. And what really seems to relate to how often the mind is getting distracted is the attitude through which the mind is knowing the present moment. So in, a, in that way, there's two parts of the present moment. There's the object that awareness is knowing, like the rising of the abdomen, or just the more general experience of the whole body. And then the way the mind is knowing, the attitude of the mind. Like I'm knowing the mind with boredom or I'm knowing the mind through the attitude of irritation, or I'm knowing the body and mind, or the breath and the body with uh, 
a controlling attitude or with a kind attitude, a patient attitude, with real pure curiosity. So some attitudes or some qualities of the mind lend themselves to the continuity of present moment awareness. And some attitudes of mind, like being bored, being impatient, being controlling, right, lend themselves to distraction. Thinking about what a bad meditator I am. Wondering if I'm worse than you. You know, and on and on and on. So you'll learn over time to notice that some attitudes are skillful in the sense that they lead to present moment awareness, lead to being in the moment in a, with less stress, less mental and physical contraction, and other attitudes, other qualities of mind are stressful and lead to more stress. I mean, it's really simple, but we don't do this. Like a well-trained person, you know, somebody who's really taken up the practice, you should be able to text them (laughs) or ask them what qualities of mind are active now in this moment and are they skillful or unskillful. And, uh, And somebody with some training would be able to say, oh, there's greed in the mind now and it's not helpful, it's not skillful. Or there's tenderness, kindness in the mind right now, and it's skillful. And it wouldn't be theoretical. They'd be able to notice that mental quality, that attitudinal mood quality, right? And obviously this is more subtle, like feeling your sits bones against the chair, that basic experience of contact or pressure. That's relatively uh, easy to notice as a present moment phenomena, right? Pressures like this, weights like this. But now notice what's the quality of the mind or what attitude or mood is present here. It's almost like learning to see the filter or the framing or the way, directly see the way the mind's relating and noticing whether that's skillful in the direction of release and ease or unskillful in the direction of stress and tightness. So it's almost like, you know, this is the, you know, we're getting close to the end. It's week five. So the whole point of cultivating mindful awareness is to get to know the mind. The whole point of getting to know the mind is being able to distinguish this is a skillful mind planting seeds of release or this is an unskillful mind planting seeds of stress, right? Because there's no taking care of myself in a deeper sense unless there's enough stability of present moment awareness to notice whether the mind, the way the mind's relating, the qualities of the mind, are skillful or not. This is like the turning point. Like when the Buddha talked to his students at the time, way back 2,500 years ago, about the turning point in his practice, this is exactly what he says in that discourse. It occurred to me, and this is a, a somewhat of a rough paraphrase, but basically he said, it occurred to me that it might be helpful to notice, to divide my qualities of mind or my 
ways of thinking, attitudes into two categories, skillful and unskillful. And it's not about being judgmental or self-hateful. It's just about realizing it matters what the qualities of the mind are and whether they're skillful or unskillful. And simply by noticing, preferably all day long, how's the mind doing? What are the qualities now? And are they skillful or unskillful? That changes everything. Because it provides a very natural feedback mechanism for the development of wisdom, we say in Buddhism. Right? The, it's a purification of the mind that happens when we notice, when we can notice in an ongoing way, the difference between skillful qualities and unskillful qualities. Now remember, it's not about you getting in there and getting rid of the unskillful or developing the skillful. That happens naturally, the abandoning of the unskillful, the developing of the skillful, happens naturally by noticing what's skillful and what's unskillful. It's the noticing, it's the seeing clearly that develops the skillful and undermines and abandons the unskillful. And I'll just give you an example before we do our set. Just imagine, like if you were really frustrated or really irritated or some unwholesome quality of mind was really strong. And all of a sudden mindfulness kicks in in a non-judging but clear way. You see, oh yeah, the mind's really angry. Anger is like this. Seeing it, seeing it moment by moment. You're not trying to suppress it or repress it. You're just seeing the anger as it's actually moving in the body and the mind. Well, would that feed the anger or starve it? Seeing it without judgment. Seeing it in a clear, honest, kind way. Check it out. I'll I'll tell you, or the Buddha will tell you, that it causes, it undermines the force of anger. It's hard to be angry or any unskillful quality, whatever your habit might be, being defensive, being controlling, being needy, right? So whatever your neurotic, stronger neurotic tendency might be, it's really hard when that's active and you're in that sort of stable, kind, present way, seeing it as it actually is. It's hard for that pattern to continue. Try it. Try being a jerk and being mindfully aware. It's very hard. And the opposite is true. When you're mindfully aware of a skillful quality, you're just naturally generous or you're naturally feeling some gratitude, some appreciation, naturally patient, like we are in some moments, right? But now, in that moment, there's that stability of present moment awareness. Oh yeah, patience is like this. Kindness is like this. What happens to the kindness when it's seen clearly? Does it diminish or does it in a way blossom, get stronger when it's seen for what it is, a skillful quality of mind? Mindfulness grows the wholesome and undermines the unwholesome. Now don't believe that, check it out. And the best place to check it out is in the simplicity of a formal sitting time. And you'll see, you know, at times an unwholesome quality You'll get bored. Boredom is, you know, it's not a terrible quality of mind, but it's not wholesome. Boredom is a subtle kind of aversion, right? 
So you then, then notice boredom with awareness, not judgment, not trying to control it. Oh, this is boredom. It feels like this. So not only you're aware of your breath and the body, but you're aware of that attitude or that quality of mind, boredom. And just be aware of it and see what happens. Does it get stronger or weaker when it's seen with mindfulness? In another moment in your set, you know, you might have some wholesome quality there. Then acknowledge. So periodically during the sit tonight, just you might just drop in the question, what's the attitude of mind? Is there any obvious mood or attitude or dominant quality in the mind, in the heart right now that can be seen? Remember, some qualities are don't stand out like you might feel a little numb or flat or disinterested. But that's a quality, so notice that. Oh yeah, numbness. Okay. Numbness is like this. Nothing, nothing is happening. Okay, maybe that's an emotional quality. Let me just acknowledge it. So not all attitudes or moods or mental qualities are going to be, you know, like with neon lights saying, hey, look at me, right? Because we're not used to looking at the attitude or the mood. So it's almost like as soon as we look, it hides. But that's okay. Just keep being interested and then go back to your main meditation object like your breath or whole body awareness. But just maybe in the course of our 30-minute sit, maybe four or five times, just drop in the question or even without the question, what's the attitude now? What's the quality of the mind that's predominant? How's the mind relating to the present moment? What's that quality of relating right now, skillful or unskillful? And just see what comes into view with that kind of natural interest. Okay? Any questions about that? before we stretch and get ready for a set. Good, so just feel free to stretch out for a minute or so. Stand if you want, whatever you need. Take your time, but of course, when you feel ready, just settle into a comfortable posture. There's no hurry, though. And in your own way, just settle into the awareness of your bodily, your body posture. Remember, some people like to take a couple of longer, easy, deep breaths, filling, and then emptying the lungs in a relaxed way, just as a way of coming into the whole body, feeling the whole body. Without any sense of rushing, just taking the time to fill and then to empty the lungs. Maybe one more time. And eventually we just allow the breathing process to continue on its own. And it's really nice that we don't need to consciously control the breath. We can trust the body just to breathe, no matter what that's like. Taking a few seconds and simply recognizing that hearing is being known. Maybe 
remembering that it's possible to relax back into the experience of hearing. It reminds us how effortless hearing can be, how effortless awareness can be. Hearing just happens. So in that same receptive way, feeling the whole body, this great ocean of sensation. Just sensing, tuning in to the enormity and complexity, diversity of physical sensation now in the body. Just this simple reality of sensation, the body sitting. So there's that very straightforward recognition. The body feels like this now. And all the sensations are included. And in that awareness of the body, just take a few moments to Remind the different places in the body that it's okay to relax, especially those places where you might tend to hold tension, like around the eyes, or around the mouth and the jaw. Just inviting a relaxation, softening. Around the throat, And down through the shoulders and the arms and the hands. Just that simple recognition that it's really okay to relax, to soften. Down through the trunk and the pelvis and the legs. It's okay to relax. It's really okay. And cultivating this really beautiful and deep value to be intimate with the sensations of the sitting body and the breathing body right here, just as it is, not needing the sensations to be different than they are right now. And of course, the sensations have this nature to change, right? It's an unfolding flow of sensation here in the body, including that movement of the breath and the body. And of course, not all the sensations will be pleasant. Some might, but some of the sensations, probably unpleasant, a lot will be neutral, neither obviously pleasant or unpleasant. But see if you're able to be welcoming, accepting of the full range and complexity of sensation now. Breathing in, sensitive to the whole body. Breathing out, sensitive, allowing the whole body to be the way it is. And you can use simple phrases like that if that, if that's helpful, but you don't need 
to use any phrase in the mind. But one way or the other, as a training, we're cultivating the continuity of present moment awareness. We're using the sensations of breathing in and breathing out in a more inclusive way, the whole body sitting. We're using this as a training anchor to cultivate the continuity of present moment awareness. Grounded in the awareness of the body, the sitting body. And just checking how the mind is, the attitude or the quality of the mind as you know the body. Tight or relaxed kind or irritated, without judging the attitude, just noticing the quality of the mind. And then doing our best to cultivate a continuity of present moment awareness using this training anchor and noticing the attitude of mind from time to time. And of course, once the mind has gotten distracted, as soon as you've noticed that the mind has been lost in thought, realize that that's a moment of awareness. Be happy that the mind now knows that it's been distracted and it feels like this. So take a moment and really connect with what it feels like to have been distracted and then return to your training object. So we're going to continue now for a while in silence.
Learn how to begin again and again and again. How to find your way back to this continuity of present moment awareness. Where the mind is relaxed and alert, kind, patient, interested. Like what the quality of the mind is. Is it helpful or not? All of this without needing to judge or needing to get tight.
let it be really simple. Is it possible to simply feel the breath and the whole body as the breath comes in? Is it possible to be intimate or open to the out-breath and the sensations of the whole body sitting? So we're learning to allow everything else to drop away, the thoughts about this and that. Let all that fall into the background and let the simple experience of breathing, the simple experience of the body sitting come into the foreground. How's the mind doing? What's the attitude like? Skillful or unskillful?
And we're going to take the last five minutes or so to allow the eyes to open. Do whatever you can to sit comfortably upright in a way that supports wakefulness. And then we're going to drop the specific training with the anchor, breathing in, breathing out, aware of the body. And we'll practice what can be called an open awareness practice. So we're simply sustaining present moment awareness. It might be one moment of noticing hearing and then followed by a moment of noticing seeing, noticing thinking, noticing the body sitting, sensation. So you could call this the practice, the more general practice of non-distraction. Including noticing the attitude, like is the mind controlling now or is it relaxed? Is the body still? Is there movement? This is a more subtle practice where we're learning to sense the present moment in this inclusive way. We're not relying on specific objects. Is it possible to be at ease, to be free with these particular conditions now in the moment? And if there's some stress or some suffering, then notice that. Can that be okay that there's that stress, that resistance or whatever it might be? not be accepted.
be grateful for the time. Take a, the time you need to adjust the body, stretch or whatever. We'll take care of the body's needs. So I want to save a little time, maybe the last 20 minutes or so, and introduce the loving-kindness practice. And uh, we'll go and spend, at the beginning, during the guided sit next week, the last week of the class, uh, during our 30-minute sit, I'll spend maybe half of it doing the loving-kindness practice, but I'll introduce it tonight. So I'm assuming most of you have already read the instructions on the loving-kindness practice, but if you didn't, track down that handout. And if you don't know where the handouts are, see me afterward. (laughs) But they're on our website. And uh, I sent you the link, so if you're on the email list for this class, you got the link. But you can just find it under Programs. There's something, a drop-down menu, New to Practice, and that has the audio and the handouts for this course. So you can track that stuff down. But until then, uh, till I introduce that, we have some time. It's really, like you've been noticing, I'm sure we learn a lot from people's comments What's been hard? Remember last week we talked about, well, what gets in the way of the continuity of mindfulness, both during the day but specifically during your formal sitting time? Why is it that when we sit down we don't have perfect, continuous mindfulness until the sit's over? What does the mind do? That would be nice because we normalize it by talking about it with each other and we start having some perspective of how when that distraction, that reaction, that habit, when it arises, how that could just be the next thing being known. So remember, mindfulness doesn't really care what's happening in the moment. So it's not like I don't need to be with the breath for the continuity of mindfulness. I could have a few moments of that continuous awareness with the in-breath and maybe even extending that present moment awareness with the out-breath. But then some thought about yesterday comes to mind. And then some reaction to that thought. And then the judging mind, why are you doing this? You're supposed to be practicing. And then all of a sudden mindfulness comes in, notices the mental proliferation, notices notices that the tightness in the body is like this. Right? notices that there's some sounds in the room and then back to the anchor or the body, whole body. So that's why it's good like we did at the end of the sit and I encourage you to do this at home too. Take at least a couple minutes at the end and just to kind of make it clear to yourself that might be when you open your eyes. Now, you can always practice with your eyes open, especially if you tend to be sleepy. But most of us, most of the time, practice with our eyes closed. It's totally okay to have it open. But then just to make that very clear, okay, now I'm doing open awareness practice. I'm not always going to return back to the breath or the whole body. I'm really learning to practice as if I'm in my daily life, seeing, hearing, sensation, emotion, mental activity. They're all just present moment phenomena that can be known by awareness. Oh yeah, now it's like this. Now it's like this. 
sounds like this. So can we, so then the practice, like I mentioned in the guided sit, it's the practice of non-distraction. And like uh, one of the well-known teachers here in the West, a Vietnamese Buddhist monk, Thich Nhat Hanh, is this great and important line. The only enemy is forgetfulness. We're forgetting to recognize the present moment. That means we're lost in thought, but not aware we're lost in thought, right? We've lost our life, so to speak. Because when we're unaware, when we're distracted, we're in the bubble of whatever our thoughts are. So I could be like a dream, you know, a nightmare, let's say. That's our reality. When we're in a nightmare, but not aware that it's just a nightmare, that's our reality. And that's a lot of the day. Right? It may not be a nightmare. It could be some, something exciting we're thinking about in terms of the future. But that's our reality. As long as the mind is unaware that that's just a thought that feels like this now, we're like in that bubble. And in that way, we get pushed around all day long. One bubble, this bubble, that bubble. Horrors, enticing possibilities, yucky feelings from the past. Nostalgic, beautiful feelings, ideas, thoughts, images from the past. It's like a roller coaster, pushing all the emotional buttons. No wonder we're tired at the end of the day. right? But with awareness and wisdom, it's like, okay, that's just that. feels like this. There's this, this kind of steady, unflappable, unsurprisable, wise and kind presence that knows that the thinking mind is the thinking mind, that basically anything can happen, and it's just something being felt, being known. So, let's hear from each other. What have you been learning? What have you been seeing? What questions might be arising in your practice that you want to bring up? Uh, I'm Jan, and I would like your thoughts about um, Last, I believe it was last session, you talked about self and the continuum of when we think we're uh, being, want to be kind and loving more, um, I don't know if you use the word ego, but it, it seemed like it was that kind of thing versus to let go of that and then see what's there. And I've been, in my head, kind of circling around the, how to balance um, that kind of letting go of self and also um, uh, knowing that sometimes, even if you can see what's happening in a peaceful way and not be reactive, there is action that should be taken mm-hmm. in life that is um, maybe uh, the right thing to do for yourself. If you're in a situation, for example, yeah. and there's disrespect or bullying or things like that that may be directed to you, you know, on one hand, things I hear kind of like just to notice it. Right. On the other hand, uh, it feels like it's something that um, it the in a, in the right. Th- Right, you know that's a, I know um, a dangerous word, but the the thing to do is to to do something 
maybe in a loving and kind way, to not be treated disrespectfully or bullied. Um, And so I kind of, by my mind, spins around with those things. No, no, it's a really important question because it can get confusing. But hear this. It's really important to hear this because people use this to stop practicing because they think, like Jan mentions, that the teaching is just about being clearly aware and passive. But nobody has, I haven't at least, said that, talked about passivity or non-responsivity or not getting engaged or not speaking truth to power or not doing what needs to be done in life. All we're talking about is that balanced, clear, fearless, kind presence. But that presence doesn't put the brakes on speech on action, it doesn't really, it isn't telling us to do something or to not do something. So when we put this emphasis, when we develop this capacity to be really present, really intimate, seeing clearly, feeling deeply, it actually really allows for a nimble, creative, and at times when appropriate, powerful response to the moment. What would, like when we're really mindful, what would stop a response? What is it about mindfulness that might stop a response? It's just the opposite. Like when I'm really radically present and you're doing something uh, that's really not appropriate to me, right? Well, I'm putting all my emphasis in like really seeing clearly in both a sensitive but also a broad breadth of awareness, right? I'm really showing up. So I'm really sensitive to how inappropriate your words or your actions. I'm, if, I'm, if I'm in danger, I'd be really sensitive, really aware, awake to being in danger. If there were some move that I could do that would resolve this as skillfully as possible, because I'm present, I'm more likely to notice what words, what action would be helpful or unhelpful. So mindfulness, if it's done as it should be done, is only going to support a creative, powerful, skillful, nimble, helpful response to the present moment. That's the whole reason we're cultivating mindfulness to support well-being. No one's going to have well-being if our only move is to sit still and let life roll over us, right? Who's going to be happy with that kind of life where all we can do is sort of, the baby's crying, but I'm aware the baby's crying. It's <laughs> been a day since you've been fed, but I know how to be with that feeling. <laughs> Being a bad mother, being a bad father feels like this. <laughs> Wife walking out the door feels like this. <laughs> no, it's sort of like we're, we're, putting, we're learning how to be right in the middle precisely because it allows for a helpful, skillful response. And even as we're responding, we're aware of what that feels like because the impulse to respond in this way we're not presuming we see and know everything. 
We're just presuming that in this moment, this seems to be a skillful thing to be saying or doing or not doing, not saying. But even as we're doing something, the mindfulness, the presence is there because we might get more information and we might change in real time. Oh, instead of saying that, I think I'll do this. Or maybe I just realized that wasn't so skillful, so I'll make amends. So it's a real radical shift. That's that's important to understand. This is not what we normally do. Because normally we're putting all the emphasis on what should we do. Now we're putting all the emphasis, emphasis on being present and letting the doing come out of the being present. Whether we do what we do is sit still on the couch or whether what we do is stand up and say something or stand up and do something. But we're letting that be a natural like the response comes out of the presence. See, we think that if I don't decide, I'm not going to do anything. But deciding just happens. Right? Like we, we, this is always, I forget what the, the phrase we use, but it's, it's like we use this to scare ourselves. Like if I don't have a lot of self-centeredness, I'm not going to do anything. But this, it's just not true. If we put our emphasis in this balanced, clear, intimate, kind presence, you'll see that as a personality, as an engaged human being, you're much more engaged, much more alive, much more responsive. Much, not that you don't make mistakes, but if you make mistakes because you're emphasizing being present, you're really learning from them. But you have to check it out because otherwise... This point that Jan's making really comes up. I mean, those of you who've been around for a while know that this question comes up regularly. About It's basically a kind of concern about passivity, but it's talked about in any number of different ways. But you have to check out mindfulness. Mindfulness is not about passivity. Mindfulness is about intimacy. Intimacy whether you're sitting still Intimacy, whether you're talking, engaging. It's, it's just about realizing how useful, functional it is to be aware whether you're sitting still on a couch or running for president or feeding your cat. Why wouldn't we find it useful to be right in the middle, sensitive, where whatever's happening in the moment of our life? Now, we generally feel inspired when things are dangerous, right? Like I notice, like now, when my wife and I are having an argument, I get really present because, you know, it's like I don't want to do something stupid. But but our training is to have that vivid, alert, and relaxed presence all day long because it turns out to be a joy Initially, it's a lot of work because it's not our, it's not the mind's habit. But like distractedness, which ju- is just a learned habit, mindfulness can just be the new learned habit. And then it's not a lot of work. But initially, it's a lot of work because we have to stop feeding distractedness and superficiality and numbness, right? And start feeding the habit of that simple, balanced, kind, non-judging intimate presence. And we use the embodied experience, feeling the breath, feeling the body, 
as a training ground. That's like if you're not aware of your body, chances are you're not in the present moment. You're lost in thought. So these like two moves, one that I've been talking about for the last five weeks, like what's the, how's the body doing? But even more now, what's the attitude in the mind? Because that's actually more relevant in terms of causes for stress, causes for release, like what the mind is doing, how the mind's relating, what are the mental qualities that are active, have been activated or triggered. Wholesome ones or unwholesome ones? Because it really helps to know. Like going back to that scenario where my spouse and I are, you know, in a conflict. It's really good to know if I'm being defensive, if I'm being controlling, if I'm being hateful, if I'm afraid. It's not about repressing it. It's just like it helps me be more skillful if I notice what's been activated. And it's easy to make mistakes when I'm oblivious to what qualities have been activated in the mind. And somebody says to us, you know, you're really angry. And you go, I'm not angry. (laughs) It's because we have no idea about the quality in the mind right now. Yeah, thanks, Jan, for that. Who'd like to go next? What have you been learning? Yeah, over here. I wasn't actually going to share tonight, but this is super related (laughs) to what we were just talking about. Um, So I'm Amanda. And uh, one of the things I've noticed, like, continuously coming up is I'm in a really sort of vulnerable place um, in my life right now. And I keep coming up with this sort of like making, not making excuses, but like justifying myself, um, a real strong desire and need to be like affirmed by others and cared for by others and liked by others. And so when I'm, I'm trying to be aware of the present moment, the sort of thoughts that are coming into my mind are memories and times where that was being challenged and maybe I'm not liked or maybe I'm not good enough or maybe I'm not all of these different things. Um, And what I've actually found that's been helpful um, with this practice is I've noticed when I'm having conversations with other people, I would sort of default to explaining myself or if I do something wrong or say something wrong, I would default to sort of explaining myself. And what that's sort of starting to turn into is as I'm speaking, I'm realizing that I'm explaining myself. (laughs) And now I'm saying, oh, and I'm really realizing that this is actually coming from a place of feeling sort of vulnerable. (laughs) And and so it's coming out in my conversations with people. And I'm starting to recognize that, you know, know, maybe this isn't valid. And let me take a different approach, like actually out loud to people. And it's really interesting to watch their faces kind of change and like how the converse, and that just feels like I haven't had like a concrete example of sort of skillfulness and this feels like I'm starting to maybe see some more like concrete in in personal interaction examples of that. So I just wanted to share that. It's really powerful, Amanda. And, And part of what Amanda was saying just then is realizing that like when a pattern has been activated like you know whether like not feeling good enough or or really needing affirmation from others there's a feeling there when that particular emotional psychological pattern has been activated 
And you didn't say it exactly this way, but in talking about it in the way that you mentioned it, you can tell that Amanda was finding a way to feel what that yucky feeling feels like, right? Oh, it feels like this to need that affirmation. And the thing is, when I'm willing to feel what that feels like, then I don't have to act out that pattern. And then we're willing, like you said, to shed some light on it. Some social situations, it might be appropriate to say it out loud. There may be some that it isn't, wouldn't be appropriate to kind of say it out loud. But the important thing that we can always do, and you can even ask this in your mind silently, like, is it okay to feel what I'm feeling right now? What's the feeling here? Oh, this pattern has gotten activated. Well, what's the feeling here? The shame pattern has gotten activated. Okay, well, what's the feeling here? The embarrassment thing has been activated. What's the feeling here? Can I feel this? Is it dangerous to feel what I'm feeling? It's yucky, but is it dangerous? No, it's okay. And once we feel it, then, see, that acting out the pattern is usually a way to avoid feeling what we're feeling. But if we're brave and willing to feel what we're feeling, we don't have to act out the pattern of looking for affirmation from others because I've already made peace with the yucky feeling of needing your affirmation. So now I don't need it because I'm willing to feel what it feels like to need it, right? It's really an empowering move, like loneliness. Next time you feel lonely, ask yourself, well, what's the feeling here? Can I be mindfully aware? Can I be intimate, unafraid of that feeling of loneliness? Then, whether you call this person or do this thing, it isn't because you're afraid to feel loneliness, because you've already made peace with the yucky feeling of it. Then the question of, should I call this person or do this thing, is, can be made on a more pragmatic level, like the probability that it will be pleasant. <laughs> you know, A more functional, as opposed to, I have no choice but to call this person, because I can't stand this feeling. So this is the thing, being willing to really receive the feelings that are already here in the body and the mind, okay? Why bother running? Why not just see if it's safe to feel it? Yeah, thanks, Amanda. Yeah, please, over here and then next to you. You the actor with Hi, my name is Jennifer, and I have a question about um, developing the practice on your own because it's much easier to do in a group or in guided meditation and... So I don't want to use the word strategies for, but, you know, is it a crutch to do a guided meditation? Um, or is it useful to, to say, you know, listen to talks while meditating until you build the practice? Or I'm just yeah, wondering no, no, your thoughts really on that. Good, really good questions. Well, it's kind of like learning anything. At some point we need to take the training wheels off, but when we need training wheels, we should use training wheels or any kind of crutch or support. And, uh, but we just have to realize that we want to do it independently. The whole practice is about moving towards independence. Also remember that even though it's harder without the guidance or without being here with other people, doesn't mean that you're learning less than when you're with other people or you're listening to guided meditation. So it may be messier, the mind may seem more wild, you might seem more distracted, but you might actually be learning more, even though it feels more wild. So never judge your meditation by how pleasant it is. 
If you're going to judge your practice, the judgment would be around how much did you learn. Like, did you learn, did you see things about the mind that you hadn't seen clearly before? Right? That's the only relevant thing. Because the whole path is about learning about the mind. The cause, this is the Buddha's words, the cause for suffering is the not seeing it. The resolution of human suffering is the seeing and understanding it. We're chasing our tails because we don't realize we're chasing our tails. We're so distracted by distraction we don't realize we're distracted nor how stressful it is to be distracted. So we have to see it. It's messy to see it. So one of the things about sitting without the crutch of a guided meditation, listening to a talk online, or sitting with other people, is we realize how incredibly crazy our minds are just because of habit energies, right, patterns. But it's really a powerful wake-up call to realize like how difficult it is to be in the present moment. That shocks us, doesn't it? When you realize like how hard it is for three seconds. That's why sometimes people count their breaths, not to get tight about it, but just in a relaxed way. Can I be with one in-breath? Can I get to one? <laughs> Can I get to two? Like one on the in-breath, two on the out-breath. Can I get to four? I mean, it's surprising to sustain present moment awareness to six, which just means three breaths, right? One on the in-breath, two on the out-breath, three on the in-breath. You know, when you get to ten, by the way, then start over, generally. I mean, there's different ways to do it. Some people count backwards. They make it a little bit harder. You could just try. I'm not saying you should do that all the time, but every once in a while, in a light, playful way, not a controlling way, just a kind of a little bit of honesty about how challenging it is to sustain present moment awareness. And then you'll catch yourself counting. You'll be really good at counting, but you realize that counting has nothing to do with the breath. It's like you're just counting as if you're feeling the breath, but you're not aware of the sensations of breathing in or breathing out. And it's just like, that's not mindfulness. That's just counting. You know, <laughs> I think they, they can train animals to count. Thanks so much for sharing with us. Do you want to go next? And then we'll end here at talk about loving-kindness practice. Hello, um, my name's Idel, and I want to share something that happened earlier in the evening. Uh, as you know, we had a silence for um, a long time, and normally uh, at home I go to a very quiet place, and there's not noise, and I'm able to, you know, check out my body and um, use that time resourcefully. But tonight, um, there was a lot of noise outside. So I couldn't, you know, check my body out and how are you doing. I had to use my body differently tonight um, because there was so much noise outside. I think there were cars, buses, planes. I think every transportation was outside tonight. I'm, I'm not sure I stopped paying attention right away. So instead of checking out my body and saying, you know, how are you doing? And, you know, I paid attention to my breath, of course, but I said to my ears, you got to cooperate with me. We have to do something about this distraction. So I asked my ears to make this into white noise, because white noise is okay for me. And 
all of a sudden, well, it was maybe not quite that quick, but it became white noise, and all of a sudden there was not that much of cars or whatever it was outside, I'm not sure. It just became more soothing, and that way I was able to turn inward like I wanted to be and go into that joyful quietude and inwardness and what I wanted to be doing at that at that moment. Um, and so I think that we can use our bodies for not only um, seeing where our bodies are, where, whether it's quiet sitting or doing the gentle breathing, but we can work in unison, for me anyway, uh, to help us to get in that position in our mind also, because the white noise was just wonderful. I don't even know what is outside right now, nor do I care. So that was really helpful. And what it sounds like from your description, what happened is you changed your attitude. Because when there's sort of an aversive relationship to the sounds, it's like, oh, that's that, and I don't like it. But what you're calling white noise, it's not like your ears stopped hearing, but your ears stopped discriminating between the different sounds. And it was just hearing. So the mind went from having an aversive or controlling or a judgmental or a discriminating relationship with the sounds to a more neutral, equanimous, peaceful relationship. And it's a really great training, what you said, Idell. And you can do it too, like if you ever practice in a, um, yeah, like if you practice, if you go to a bus station or the, a mall or something like that, where there's like lots of different conversations, and it's sort of like, it's hard to be mindful when you hear talking, because the ears want to listen, and then they have an opinion about what they're hearing. <laughs> but you can almost, like Idell was saying, almost like it's the sound of birds, like have a neutral relationship with all the talking. Like your partner, you're in a quiet room, but your partner has the radio on. You don't, it's not that loud, but you can sort of hear it. And you could get so angry about like, oh, they know I'm sitting. Why are they playing the radio? Or you can do a little bit like Idell saying, just shift the attitude about the sound. Make it a neutral, like a bird sound, right? No, you don't actually try to make it a bird sound. You're just shifting your attitude to, I'm in control, and that's not what's supposed to be happening, too. It's just hearing. It's just sound, like white noise. Yeah, that's a beautiful example. Good. So we just have 10 minutes. I just want to mention to kind of inspire you to check it out at home. Now, I mentioned tonight, like, how to check your attitude. What's the attitude? Now, remember, it's subtle, but the attitude can actually be your meditation. And this is a nice segue with what Idell was talking about. It is always possible to shift the attitude. I don't care how irritable you are, how depressed you are, how greedy, lustful, wanting you are. Attitude is always in place. And one way to check this out so that you develop confidence is with the practice. In general, we call it metta which is the Pali word for basic goodness or friendliness or loving kindness. It often gets translated as metta, M-E-T-T-A. And metta is sort of the general quality of love. And then when that general quality meets suffering, we call it compassion or karuna is the Pali word. When that basic goodness of the heart runs into something beautiful, we call it appreciative joy 
or the Pali word is mudita, gratitude, empathy, or a sympathetic joy is another phrase. And when love, that basic goodness of the heart, runs into a situation that's confusing or ambiguous, then that love is, expresses itself, itself, itself as equanimity. Like, I don't know what the heck's going on, but I'm okay being intimate. I'm okay being here. So that's equanimity. Like, I'm okay not knowing. I'm still going to be present. I'm still going to be intimate. Because really the essential aspect of love is that yes, this too. I'm not going to throw you out of my heart. Yes, this too, right? So love, any quality of love, or that basic goodness, or whatever word you like. And I know some of these words can be triggering. We don't really have too many good. We sort of ruined the word love because we love hamburgers and we love the, you know, we, so it's, but, you know, loving kindness is kind of a mouthful and sort of seems a little sentimental. So there's no real good word here. Goodwill, goodness, sometimes it's a better phrase or word to use. But anyway, yeah, compassion. But compassion usually means when we're connecting with suffering. So it has a more specific quality of that love when we're in the vicinity of our own or other suffering. Then that's that tender, compassionate quality. But it always has this capacity to include whatever is here in the moment. Like I can be close. Goodness of the heart is willing to be close. If it's really a beautiful moment, I know how to be close to the beauty, to the goodness, without being envious. Like, why isn't that happening to me? Because I can appreciate it. I can appreciate what good is happening in your life, the success you're having, the good feeling that you have right now, without feeling like, well, what about me? I know how to include that. So, as a meditation process, and this is what I recommend that you play with, so you might like do it at the beginning of each set. So you're sitting there, you get yourself settled, and then bring to mind. And you can start with something simple like, and do this with me right now. And you might want to close your eyes just to make it a little bit easier. But you don't have to change your posture, just sit comfortably. You know, it's interesting how if we saw a little puppy, a kitten, a small child, you know, our heart would naturally open. But we have this little fragile body here, don't we? So just recognize this body, our body, this flabby body or this whatever kind of body you have. I care about this body, this beating heart body, this breathing body, food digesting body, this body with all this kind of bodily intelligence, this body that knows how to heal. I care about this body. I care enough to say yes to it, to show up right now. Yes to this body. And I care enough to, even though it might seem a little contrived, I care enough about this body to offer a few simple wishes. May this body be at ease. So just offer that wish silently, of course, to your body a few times. Change the words if you want. Something like, May this body be safe and at ease. 
May wisdom and love protect this body always. Now we're going to shift a little. And we're just going to notice our heart, just the sensitivity of our heart. You can even put your hand on your heart if you want, but you don't have to. I care about this sensitive heart. So just repeat these phrases after me, silently. (laughs) I care about this sensitive heart. I care about all the vulnerability, all the exposure of this heart. All day long, this heart is touched by experience. And I care about that vulnerability. May this sensitive heart be safe and at ease. May this sensitive heart be safe and at ease. May the deepest wisdom and love protect me always. May the deepest wisdom and love protect me always. And then we just let it expand out. So just bring to mind somebody dear in your life. Could be a pet even, or a niece, a nephew, a good friend, some benefactor, somebody's really been there for you in your life, realizing that they too have a sensitive heart, fragile body, in their own way, they're doing the best they can in their life. I also care about your tender and sensitive heart in the same way that I care about my heart I care about you too. I care enough to offer you a few simple and good wishes. May you be safe and at ease in all ways. Just imagine this person, it could even be a group of people. May your heart be safe and at ease in all ways. May the deepest wisdom and love protect you always. May the deepest wisdom and love protect you always. And why not all the people in this room? They have tender hearts just like we do. So just sense the people to your right, and people to your left. Anybody in front of you, behind all of us here in this room with our tender hearts and vulnerable bodies. May all of us live with ease, safety and ease. And may the deepest wisdom and love protect us always. And for just another 30 seconds or so, just sense, try to keep in mind this beautiful attitude of love, of goodness, right here, almost like a warm light 
radiating out in all directions, just this simple goodness. Filling the space of the body and the heart and and the room and the whole world. May all beings be at ease. May all beings be at ease. So this is a meditation, it's still mindfulness, we're being mindfully aware of the attitude of love. And you can see, we need words and mental images initially, but when that quality of love feels strong, then practice letting the words drop away and even the mental images and see if the emotion, the attitude itself, that friendly, loving, basic goodness of the heart attitude, let it be the object of awareness. So we're keeping the present moment in mind, but we're specifically keeping this wholesome attitude of loving kindness in mind, metta. Okay? So there's some room for creativity here. You've got to experiment. You've got to develop your confidence. You have to play with it or you won't get good at it. If you play with it, you're going to get good at it. It's possible to meditate on these wholesome attitudes. And you can just imagine how useful, functional that will be when we feel drawn into irritation, negativity, rage. We've got an option. We can bring to mind, not so much metta towards the person we're angry at, but metta toward ourselves for being angry. Oh, honey, you're angry, and I care about that. May you be at ease with this anger. May you find safety. And if it wants to expand out, great. But you can just start with what's easy. That's the key. Start with what's easy. Build your confidence. Only include others when you feel like that goodness wants to include others. Don't force it. Because you want it to be real, authentic goodness in your heart. Not sentimental, not like you should be kind. But real, it's a, it's a real emotion because then you're actually doing the practice. <laughs> so check it out. Remember, there's a handout that will give you some instructions. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.